0: blue lines Got it. a blue thin lines. blue line i see blue, it blue blue lines matter
1: on my audacity,
0: <laughs> and i'm not and my mouth isn't like directly on the microphone like it was for our first four episodes cuz i was doing like i was doing like beatboxing distance from the microphone like just fucking like, and like it was just not professional <laughs>
1: Uh, Yeah, you listen to some of these podcasts and you're wondering like, man, do they have the best brains. They learned how to talk real good, learned how to put (laughs) sentences together without like a million ums and likes throughout the whole thing. And then you realize, no, they actually all talk like that. You just edit all that shit out and post. Yeah.
0: Imagine you could go back through your actual conversations, every awkward moment, stutter, mispronunciation, uh, and just bad fucking topic, you can just delete. And then you just, you can literally retroactively refine your whole. It's like social media, how you can edit your photos to give yourself a six pack and like a
1: dick bulge and stuff. Like, it's like I do that with podcasting. Wait, hold on. I didn't know about this dick bulge thing. <laughs> do people do that?
0: Well, I have to shrink mine, I have to like edit it so it's not too distracting. So,
1: uh, fuck. Yeah, we were, um, uh... I don't think this could dox me, but we're doing we're doing a very small stream where we're talking shit on military ads and recruiting. And it took us about forty-five fucking minutes to get like all of the streaming software set up and to do it live and everything was getting interfered with by the power of their computer and the strength of their internet. And I remember just being like, Wow, podcasting is so much fucking easier. <laughs> just using some open source city software writing some god awful notes whenever we publish the episode and then just being like fuck it <laughs> send it <laughs> full send baby yeah
0: it really was like a after school activity <laughs> that's <laughs> kind of how we're doing it <laughs> we're like yeah uh, the microphone is more like a statement like when i have a microphone out it's like i got shit to say motherfucker that's what it does <laughs> it helps my brain apparently it makes the audio better but Mostly, it's like putting on like your new shoes for the first day of school. It's like, all right, I'm in, I'm in game mode, (laughs) fucking ready to go now. Yeah,
1: I just need a podium. I should start doing this like standing, so I can. I feel like I can like speak.
0: Yeah, speak to the people. I want, yeah, the Richard Wolf thing where he's like at the podium and he's like, socialism is when the government does stuff. And I was like, (laughs) the podium's a great because like when you stand, you talk differently. You talk. It's like like a focal point.
1: That's why I I don't like TEDx talks that much because they don't have podiums. So these dudes have to like awkwardly (laughs) pace back and forth on the stage versus people like old Dick Wolf over there who has a podium and can just like fucking slam it and be like, yo, this is bullshit. (laughs) It's like, yeah, you know, when you
0: have like a vase that you want to show off, which I don't, I'm not that rich, but rich people have vases they want to show off, right? Yeah. And they like, they put it on a pedestal, right? And a podium is like a pedestal for your face. You're just like, bitch, like here i've i've placed myself precariously so you know that this is important like listen it's like you said focal point
1: ooh hold on i have i have a point okay i was watching a new series recently called how to mm-hmm. with john wilson on hbo and it's produced by uh nathan fielder the guy who does like nathan for you and one of the episodes he goes into this person's house and they have a box like a mirror box with glass on one side and like a mirror on the other in a set of red high heel shoes that they're like super proud of just sitting on their coffee table in the middle of everything and so he comes in there he's like "What? why do you have these here it's like oh these are like these are worth so much money um they're signed by someone blah 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 that i had no idea who they were and he's kind of just like oh okay like why So you're never going to wear these. You're never going to touch them. You're never going to put them on. And there's this really awkward encounter of just the husband and the wife standing there trying to justify why they have these fucking shoes just sitting on the coffee table. And they're like, well, I mean, he's famous. And it uh, can be like a conversation piece whenever we have guests over, I think. And that was kind of like the energy that they had. And he's like, all right, good talk. Like, I don't know why we have these fucking shoes here.
0: That is a thing, though. Like... Like, when you have disposable income, you do shit like that.
1: You just, like, buy things to, like, occupy space within your house. Or if you're, like, a weird kind of fucked up, you have a designer come in, like, an interior designer come in and buy things for you that are supposed to represent you. And they just get strewn all through this fucking house. And uh, you didn't actually accomplish – you didn't do any of it. None of it, like, relates to you. It's just shit you got off, like, Etsy or – Overstock.com or something. Yeah, it's a really weird, weird type of person <laughs> that is like <laughs> invested into that kind of stuff. The vase and the shoes.
0: Yeah, I think the so the interior decorating plan I have uh for my eventual house is all stolen goods. <laughs> <laughs> That's I want shit I stole, and it's like ever walk around and be like, you want to hear the story about this coffee table? Be like, oh yeah. Well, it actually once belonged to the mayor of Dallas. <laughs> you know, so I like that. Just He's still looking shit. for it. Yeah, <laughs>
1: Do that. I uh, the actual night before I shipped off to the military, <laughs> I was trolling through the neighborhood with a couple of friends, and I ended up stealing a speed limit sign just because I wanted to. And every time I came home afterwards. It was like a little point of pride that I just had this speed limit sign just posted up in my room. And I eventually, family eventually got rid of it because they're like, you're in the military now. You should have more respect than to have just like stolen shit all throughout your, like all throughout your room.
0: Yeah. Stealing stuff is like an essential part of like garrison operations, (laughs) you know, like that's how the world continues to spin in the military like if you don't think that every commander in the battalion signed for the same fucking hammer (laughs) that just, and they just get shuffled around when it's change of command season. Like, yeah. Then you ain't never been an E4. All
1: right, let's go ahead and bring this one in. Ladies and gentlemen, you're listening to pillow Scream radio today. It is Alex and Jim on the mic. And, uh, Yeah, that's it. Mandy's out doing some personal stuff, so we're going to fucking hold down the fort and try to be as funny as her. We were talking about podcasts earlier. Joe Rogan is in the news again because he started saying some shit about not wearing masks or, like, not getting vaccines. I think I think the earlier one, he did it with that one comedian. And uh, Bill Burr <laughs> called him out on yeah. it because he was like, I don't know if we should be wearing masks. And Bill Burr was like, dude, shut the fuck up. Like, you're not a doctor. You don't know <laughs> shit. You did DMT just, like, 15 minutes ago. Like, you don't know shit the whole
2: fucking time there's been fucking assholes on my street walking around no masks you know not quarantining like the people that come by the houses you see the fucking you know the same people that were going in and out of the house who are not part of their family still going in and out of the house you want
0: people to walk down the street with a mask on
2: let's not start this do you though let's not start this Okay, let's let's start it I I don't want to start this bullshit I'm not going to sit here with no medical degree listening to you with no medical degree with an American flag behind you smoking a cigar (laughs) acting like we know what's up better than the cdc all i do is i listen i watch the news once every two weeks i'm like mask or no mask still mask all right mask that's all i give a fuck about i don't care but even they say you shouldn't wear a mask unless you're treating a coronavirus patient the world health organization yeah but they didn't say say that that. initially. they didn't say it initially no they didn't they did and then gradually then and then wait, wait, wait and then everybody wore the fucking masks this is like rollerblading. Everybody fucking rollerbladed, and then there was that one fucking homophobic joke, and then everybody acted like they never did it. <laughs> and then a, a hundred million fucking rollerblades got thrown into the fucking ocean. We all wore masks, and I then never all of a sudden, people are fucking sitting there. What? You don't have the body type for it, dude. <laughs> Your fucking knuckles would scrape on the ground, <laughs> even with that extra two inches. <laughs> I just love how wearing a mask became like this fucking. Like soft thing that you were doing, like being courteous, being courteous. Why is it for bitches? That was so stupid. (coughs) First of all, oh god, you're so tough with your fucking open nose and throat, (laughs) G Joe, and your five o'clock shadow. (laughs) This is a man right here. A man doesn't wear a mask.
1: Why are we questioning the experts on anti-masking kind of stuff? And now he took it a step further and went to like anti vaccine Oh, like you shouldn't get the vaccine for whatever fucking reason. And of course all all of just these knuckle jagging fucking morons, the people who are attracted to him because he lifts and smokes and thinks that doing acid is the equivalent of like an actual background in philosophy, <laughs> <laughs> so he's basically me. And just got into the podcast game <laughs> yeah, a lot earlier. <laughs> he's be like, got hmm, in- like,
0: hi, Pot. I'd like you to meet Kettle. <laughs> yeah.
1: So he's basically me, just got into the podcast game a lot earlier than I did. And everyone, everyone on the left just has some kind of version of an issue with Joe Rogan. And it's because he'll say dumb shit all the time. It's because he'll have people like Jordan Peterson or like, I think, did Steven Crowder come on at one point? I can't remember, but he'll just basically have everyone on his podcast, which is like, that's his business model. That's what he does. And, um, they accuse him
0: of vaguely interesting podcasts.
1: (laughs) Yeah. They, uh, they accuse him of platforming people that shouldn't be platformed. Or if he does platform them, he's not actually like interrogating them. They'll just be like, you know, it's not racism. It's just white nationalism. Like, Hmm. Hmm. That's very interesting. Say more. Um, and now he's getting in trouble because he's dropped some anti-vax shit. If you're like 21 years
0: old and you say to me, "Should I get vaccinated?" I, I go, "No." If you're a healthy person and you're exercising all the time and you're young and you're eating well, you're like I don't think you need to worry
1: about this. And Spotify, who they had like this big old deal going on with Spotify right now, they paid him like fucking hundreds of millions of dollars to move his podcast to their platform, is now having to be like. Okay, Joe, can't say this shit on our platform. Like we're going to have to ask you to delete this episode and this episode. I think they have like over 20 episodes where they've specifically had to like delete shit out of it being like, "Dude, you can't say that." Um and of course, all the exact type of people that you'd think are freaking out because it's it's his first amendment rights. They're violating freedom of speech. I have some quotes here. <laughs> Joe Rogan can say whatever the fuck he wants on the aptly named Joe Rogan podcast. Stop listening if you don't like it. Or even better, just disagree with this point and move on. And I have this feeling that they're all being willfully obtuse because, yeah, he can say whatever the fuck he wants on the Joe Rogan podcast. And Spotify can publish whatever the fuck they want on the Spotify platform. So if they choose, like, I don't like your fucking face, dude. They can just de-platform you off of Spotify. That's fine, go back to whatever you're doing before, <laughs> like distribute it how whatever r s s feed that you had going on before. uh, yeah, you want to move on to the next one? We can either yeah, talk, I have my mouth full, so say <laughs> so we can either talk Jordan Peterson or we can jump straight into Biden's speech and the America family plan.
0: I feel like Jordan Peterson deserves his own episode. He's too big of a character in like what would be considered our opposition. Like I know why people like him, but I think he deserves his own episode. And so we can just explain why he's fucking grifter.
1: <laughs> <I don't laughs> yeah, know. basically. Yeah.
0: Um, so we'll skip, we'll skip JP today.
1: All right. So I think we, a lot of us saw Biden's not state of the union speech. It was just like a speech to Congress. Uh, ended up becoming this whole big thing. People were, live tweeting it and all this fun stuff. And basically just massive boner for like just libs, (laughs) massive lib boner all over the place. He opens up the speech by saying, uh, so he said something to both, uh, Kamala Harris and Nancy Pelosi, um, Madam Speaker and Madam Vice President. He's like, this is the first time in the history of America that the president has ever uttered those words. It's like, all right, man. Get our, get our woke id poll points out of this, because um, notice that we still haven't said "Madam President" at any point um, until you die and Kamala Harris takes over, Joe. But he he was talking about like morphing morph crisis into opportunity, which is a really weird, uh, like a really weird uh, cynical take on how fucked our society is like how the contradictions of capitalism are just heightened every single day, especially with exposure to like COVID-19, the pandemic and just the worsening economy day by day. And he's like, this is it. This is an opportunity for us to get better. And we're going to get better by implementing this America family plan, whatever it is. sounds like a, it sounds like one of those things you go to Verizon And they're like, hey, we have a family plan. You get five lines for $100 a month, something like that. We're basically just doing the same thing for all of America. So he's introducing another bill. And it's called the, it's like the American Jobs Plan or the America Family Plan. Let me see. The American Families Plan, yep. And they're calling it an investment into our kids, our families, and our economic future. There are a couple of different pillars of this American family plan. One is education. Another, another one is like support to families. Tax cuts for families and workers. And I want to get into each one of these points for a second. So the bullet for education says, Add at least four years of free education. It will provide Americans two years of free community college. It will invest in making college more affordable for low and middle income students, including students at historically black colleges, blah, 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 as well as adding on two years of like, I think, childcare or like pre-K education or something like that, which are both good things right we should have these things but there are all kinds of weird restrictions that come hmm. into the phrase like 4 years of free education like one to qualify for the child care you have to be under like a certain um base, like a certain metric of income to qualify for it and the 2 years of free post high school education only applies to community colleges which means that someone looked at the the phrase Tuition-free college, four years of tuition-free college across the board, like no considerations. And they said, we can achieve that same goal by rephrasing it as at least four years of free education and then restricting it all the way back down to only community colleges, only like certain segments of the population. Which, if you saw the approval rating for his speech for people that give a shit about that, like what he did is... Like, people like it. It was like 86% of people felt positively about his speech. You know how you make that number, 100%? You just strip away all this fucking, like, neo-lib means testing kind of bullshit, and you just make it tuition-free college. You just you just do the thing that you already have massive public support for without walking yourself back immediately out of the gate. The
0: pre-bargaining, the good
1: old-fashioned Democrat pre-bargaining.
0: They're like, well, we we need to have a realistic proposal for the Republicans. And the Republicans are like, less. <laughs> that's the only thing that happens. They're like, whatever you come to the table with, we're going to make you cut it in half, and that's what you get. And Democrats still haven't figured out. you got to walk in there with your your complete wish list. But then again, they don't really have that wish list. They they have the same goals as Republicans, um, which is to stay rich and keep other rich people rich. Yeah. Who are richer than they are, but they get to stay kind of rich. Um, the... Corollary to this topic is that Bernie sent out an email with an actual proposal for free college. Yeah, and if you aren't subscribed to Bernie Sanders's emails, like it's probably the only way to stay, I don't know, reasonably mentally healthy if you're (laughs) a politically inclined person, because you're like at least one person gives a shit about me out there, like without regard for uh, the political implications of it. Or like how it would look or whatever. He's like, no, Mm -hmm. like education is a human right because like water and food and shelter and internet, you can't participate in this society if you don't have the bare minimum of a decent education. And for a lot of people in the United States, that means college as well—some sort of college or some sort of trade school. And it doesn't—you can't just limit it to community. Like, do you know how limiting that? Like, all the people that need college vastly exceed the number of spots available at community colleges. I fucking promise you. It's uh, Bernie and Pramila. I don't know how to say name. Hiya Paul. I feel like she's, <laughs> no, she's I'm an trying. ally. So I want to say her name right. Yeah. Uh, Pramila. <laughs> um, and it's like, here's the, the, it's like a text. The email is like a picture that's a text conversation between Bernie and Pramila. They're co-sponsoring this thing. And Bernie says, um, today in America, hundreds of thousands of bright young people who have the desire and ability to get a college education will not be able to do so because their families lack the money. Pramila says, time and time again, young people are forced to choose between mountains of college debt or giving up on their dreams of a higher education. Bernie says, this is a tragedy for those young people and their families, but it is also a tragedy for our nation. Our mission must be to give these people hope. Pramila says, it is not a question of whether or not we can afford to ensure all students and graduates have the opportunity to thrive. Of course we can. It's a question of if we're willing to prioritize it. Bernie says, That's why we're introducing the College for All Act, legislation that makes community college free for everyone and eliminates tuition and fees at public colleges and universities for families making up to $125,000 a year. That's a reasonable cutoff for me. This legislation will will free students from a lifetime of debt, invest in working people, and transform higher education in America. Tuition-free college is the norm in other modern nations, and it's time for us to join them. That's true, everyone. Go take a look at Germany. (laughs) um bernie says in a competitive global economy we need to have the best educated workforce in the world so that all our young people regardless of income have the right to a higher education Blah, blah 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 pramila says but how do we pay for it bernie the classic socialist question right and people there's like the socialists are the most fiscally responsible people on the entire political spectrum i fucking promise you like swear to god look at like actually, you know, go get the numbers, go get the raw data and and look at who balances the budget and who doesn't. So Yeah, it wouldn't it would Bernie be almost says,
1: as easy as just like ending the F-35 program and just diverting that money to tuition free college. Bernie agrees with you. He says, um, like she says, how do we pay for it, Bernie?
0: And he goes, A question no one ever asks about tax breaks for the rich at home or endless wars abroad, dot dot dot. And Pramila goes, that's the truth. <laughs> I love this format. <laughs> uh, Bernie goes, we pay for it by a Wall Street speculation tax of 0.5% on stock trades, a 0.1% fee on ads, and a 0.005% fee on derivatives that would raise $2.4 trillion over the next
1: decade. Basically Pramila just taxing are- all the, the made-up money that exists yes. over in- – Over in Wall Street, like, all of the derivatives that are just, like, abstractions of how money moves around but don't actually, like, own any assets. Like, if you purchase those derivatives, like, that shit's weird as hell. Yeah. Like, tax the fuck out of them.
0: Just made-up bullshit. Like, tax the fucking leeches on our system. Make them pay literally anything for the privilege of sucking our goddamn blood every day of our life in this country, tax them 0.005% on derivatives. Like that's the amount of money that's flowing through those fucking industries is enough you can raise trillions of dollars, literally like an entire, like half of an entire annual budget over. And and barely
1: even cut into their profit margin.
0: Yes. They would would not notice it if it wasn't in the fucking news. (laughs) Jesus Christ. Like it's so fundable, so fundable. It's, so, it's the smart thing to do because of the externalities that come out of having a bunch of people in debt. Like, do you think it's good for this country to have a bunch of people with mental health issues, chronic, addic- chronic pain, addictions, um, fucking the massive drag that health problems have on our system? Like, Are you serious? Like, it's literally costs everything and everyone more money to live that way, except the top 0.1% of earners in this country.
1: I remember seeing a TikTok actually this past week. It is a a teacher. She's like driving along in her car. She's literally driving to like Walmart or something to pick up highlighters and pencils and erasers and mm-hmm. like markers for her classroom that she has to buy herself because she doesn't actually get the funds for it. And she flips the camera around and she so- shows the armed services recruiting center. And she's like, why the fuck? Am I having to go buy things for my students, for my classroom that is objectively like supporting the continuation of our society, like the education of just kids? Meanwhile, these motherfuckers over here, she's pointing at the Armed Forces Services Center, have a lifted Ford F 350 that has like, re- it's like all red decaled out. It's been, uh, they have just the army recruiting bullshit all over the side. They have a Harley Davidson just parked out front, just like sitting and she's like why the fuck do we have these things? I think they have like those big ass buses too or like the vans or the buses that they drive around everywhere. Spend all of the money that goes towards recruiting for what is essentially America's only jobs program, the the DoD, the military. Take all of that money and put it towards either an actual jobs program or funding for education so that people can actually productively like engage with this society and aren't just like kind of sentenced to a downward spiral of like higher higher costs on everything while their actual wages aren't going up fuck so yeah joe biden he's like it, that's why some of this critiquing some of this stuff is difficult is because like some of this stuff is good right is a step in the right direction something that like I wish we could do more of, but actually just take it all the way. Yeah. So there's some other things in the American family plan also provide direct support to workers and families by creating a national comprehensive paid family and medical leave program. That's like, that's good. Every single European country has like paid family leave. So it, it costs nothing to the businesses that would then have to, you know, continue paying their salary. Like that shit's good. We need more of that. Um, they also want to extend tax cuts for families with children and American workers. The American Families Plan will extend key tax cuts in the American Rescue Plan that benefit lower and middle income workers and families, including the Child Tax Credit, the Earned Income Tax Credit, and the Child Independent Care Tax Credit, which like, I just I found myself giving less and less of shit as I read through that fucking one line. Because you you know what would solve a lot of this is just a basic income.
0: Dude. The Matt Bruning article. He's been going on yeah. and on about the uh, earned income tax credit and the, and the child tax credit. He was like, why do you guys do this so bad? It's all based on like their income bracket and shit. And he's like, well, what if something happens like a massive global pandemic that lowers everyone's income bracket that year? But the only record they have of their ability to earn that earned income tax credit or child tax credit is the previous year's income. Yep. So all the people that fucking need it that lost their jobs this year don't get it because all they get credit for is being rich last year. <laughs> by which is literally like not even it's literally middle class like you earn above $50,000 a year or some
1: shit like which is $50,000 like barely keeps people family. alive in yeah, majority seriously. almost every major city in this country it's also just not popular like you don't get any credit like you don't get any political sway because you decide that you're going to give people their money back via taxes mm-hmm. like you don't win anything no one's like, oh, thank you so much that I get more money back that I already paid to the federal government. Yeah. You know what you do get? If you if you were able to take that tax money and then put it towards actual services that people use, that's how you get people excited about your dumb shit, not this like tax credit after tax credit after tax credit, which everyone feels is just giving them back what they already are owed. Yes. You know?
0: Yeah. So the way that it literally works more efficiently, if you just get the money back, give them money indiscriminately and get it back from them based on that year's tax filing. So like yeah. at the end of the year, they're like, Hey, you know that we gave you that basic income for the COVID pandemic and yeah, you got like two grand or whatever the total was for what we got this year. And then uh, it's like, Oh, over the course of this year, he became a millionaire because he like scalped the government on hand sanitizer production or some shit. <laughs> and they're like, okay, well then we need the $2,000 back. Or just give it back. Yeah. To and then they get it back. And it's like, the most efficient way possible to guarantee that the people that needed the money over the course of that year got the money and the ones that didn't, didn't. That's how yep. it worked. That's the smart policy. It works so much. Keep it simple, stupid. Like, we all heard <laughs> that phrase. It applies to fucking policy more than anything else I can think of. But no, they got to do this, like, they're like, well, um, how much do you deserve this credit? Like, really, like <laughs> you need to evaluate your character like have you been trying to get a job or did you just give up and live off unemployment like we really don't want welfare queens getting this tax credit right I'm like dude we all we should all be welfare queens fuck like
1: yeah we <laughs> we're, we're, this society will eventually reach a point hopefully where we either we either diverge and go like the cyberpunk 2077 route or we're all just mm-hmm. like suffering living under like corporate nation states or we go the fully automated luxury gay space communism route where we're all welfare queens no one has to work we're just living off the excess produce of our society that's the goal like whenever people are like welfare queen blah 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 bullshit i'm like w- why are we mad at them <laughs> they're they're just like 200 years in the future they're living in the future right now i want to be them i envision a society
0: where we are all DA civilians and there <laughs> there are no soldiers <laughs> it's just a bunch of people running EST
1: ranges for each other. It's great. <laughs> All right. So I brought up another couple of articles that are somewhat near and dear to my heart. I saw I saw a note the other day. Zuckerberg gobbles up another big chunk of Hawaii beachfront. So, mm. yeah. So he bought it on Kauai. He bought almost 600 acres on Kauai from a nonprofit. He spent $53 million for this. And in my humble opinion, Kauai is probably one of the most beautiful places on this earth. It's just sheer majestic like natural beauty all over Kauai. And so this motherfucker, we've decided that we're going to section off portions of this land so that only two people, Mark Zuckerberg and his fucking wife, are allowed on this property. And so the way Hawaii works is one, all beachfronts are publicly accessible. Um, you can't actually privately own a beach or kick anyone off of a beach, I think, with the exception of some military beaches. But so the property is beachfront property that still locals are able to get access to by this one, like single road. But they entrusted all this land to him by saying, we know that this land will remain in their trusted hands and that Mark and Priscilla will act as responsible stewards of Lepuli today and in the future. And this is the non-profit president that sold him and probably made a fucking pretty penny off of selling him this land. However, this ignores the fact that uh, Zuckerberg has bought land in Hawaii before. 700 acre property also on Kauai. And immediately started suing residents. The Kamaaina residents are like the locals who they don't have like a they don't have a, a formal deed or a will to the land. They've just been living on that land. Their family has been living on that land since like as far back as they can remember. Hawaii protects those families in law, and they're, they're the Kamaaina. Like they are allowed to live there. No one can kick them off, uh, except for fucking Zuckerberg, who once he bought that land, immediately started filing lawsuits to try to evict those families so I would be very surprised if we didn't see this exact same thing start happening in like a year or two to try to get people off of this beachfront land that he's already purchased. And I hate the idea that one person who has exploited the, the public infrastructure, the people, the... Like, the education system in terms of, like, building a workforce for one of the most fucked products on this planet. Like, one of the most socially irresponsible and destructive products on this planet, which is fucking Facebook. And that we are now rewarding him by just ceding the commons to him. Like, commonly owned land is just going to him. (sighs) Like, do you remember... I don't know. Maybe we should tell this story. I don't fucking know. Do you remember when we were hiking? Um We were ha- hiking Mount Kala, and it was you, me, and little dog. And we were on that one ridge line, and you could look out. Dog to the was right. fucking kicking ass, by the way. What? <laughs> she
0: was she was smoking both of us. She was like, yes, little, like, I remember like being just bent at
1: over the at the waist, like looking at you, like, "Are we fucking finishing this hike? Like, this is kicking <laughs> our ass." And uh I need to come up with a pod name for for the dog. Um But. She was basically just like oh, always in front of us, looking back, like you motherfuckers keeping up. Like, come on, let's do this. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm ready to go. Like, let's, let's get this mountain. Um, there's one point in on the the hike where you're you're walking on this very narrow ridge line. Like, you can basically put one foot in front of the other to stay on. Like a sheer drop from both sides, like 500 feet on both sides. So if you like misstep, you're fucked. And to your right, you're you can see out over kind of this like kind of like lush green basin over into the you see the beach into the water and it's just like sparkling over there and over on the left hand side you look over over this like just beautiful untouched pristine valley just green and you, you can literally look down and see the the tropical birds flying around and like chirping over there and then in between you and that lush green beautiful uh natural land is this fucking rusted out chain link fence With a Mm -hmm. sign on it. Like one of those little like metal, just thin metal signs that says private property, no trespassing. And you're just looking at this like, what did we do? How did we fuck Hmm. up so bad that we as human beings decided that whatever construct we were going to come up to distribute resources was going to end up with one single person with their name on a fucking deed enforced by the federal government that owns... This land, these like hundreds and hundreds of acres of just pure beauty, like untouched. It's like Jurassic Park shit, like has not been touched by man. We're going to give it to one guy at the exclusion of all others. Why the fuck did we, (laughs) why did we invent money? Why did we invent property? This shit's so fucking dumb. And now we're doing it again with fucking Zuckerberg.
0: Yeah, don't commodify the commons. That's uh, rule number one, I think.
1: (laughs) Don't invent money, don't commodify the commons, don't invent Facebook, that's for fucking sure.
0: Well, do you remember like classical economic theory is based on um like private property laws and protection of property, like libertarian shit, and property laws and the philosophy of property is based on uh like among several things, the concept that the tragedy of the commons describes the way humans work with common property. Mm -hmm. that if you have, like, if everyone shares this park, it just goes to shit because no one is responsible for it. And you're like, that's why it needs to be owned by one guy, you know, who can take (laughs) care of it. Because he owns it. It's his. He He needs to take care of it. Like, dude, what, like, this is one of those things, like, one of those, like, foundational, like, core memories that every westernized capitalist society person has, which is being taught about just how property is the only way that things make sense, which is why it's easier to imagine the end of the world than the end of capitalism. Because commonly owned property, like commons, shared public spaces, is how all of humankind existed prior Mm -hmm. to westernized white industrial society. Like, that's what happened. That's how it still is in the places where people are still like, happy occasionally <laughs> yeah you know, that's how shit went that's the
1: kropotkin idea the so so kropotkin yeah. wrote um for for those listening if if you haven't read the conquest of bread by kropotkin do so it's so good he he talks in one of the passages in the book about like how can you say that you own a house like if you're an investment like a landlord investment type of person, how can you say that you own an apartment in Paris? That you are owed the profit derived from your your investment into that property? Mm. Because you didn't own the land, like you didn't create the land that the apartment is sitting on top of. You didn't create the building that the apartment is a part of. You didn't create the facade, the artistic like facade on the outside of the building like an artist did that. A builder, like a worker, constructed the actual walls and the floors and the stairs. An artist constructed the facade on the outside. And if property values are going up and like your investment turns out to be a good thing, it's because of factors external to you. Because Paris is like a beautiful city and they have like, you didn't construct the little coffee shop right down the road that people love to attend that adds like flavor to the, the, um, The neighborhood, like you didn't construct the the statues and and the art that makes Paris like a a famous city, but you're deriving all of the profit from like the increase in that property value. And why? No, that shit belongs to the people, belongs to the society that constructed that specific property to have the value that it has. Like it has value because of the society, not because of the person, of the individual. And if we could reframe our relationship to private property along those lines of like it literally has more value when it's owned by more people and more people have an input into it, this shit will start making a lot more fucking sense.
0: Yeah, intellectual property, his discussion on that was fantastic too. I mean, I think we should do an episode on uh, Bro Potkin, as I call him. Bro Potkin. And like... That like that shit. I could go on at length about the importance of that book to me, like in my the way I start. I started thinking. Um, Yeah, but intellectual property is like. Can you really say that you invented this car? Yeah. Because don't you owe some sort of intellectual property allegiance to the person that invented the engine or or that invented? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Like how far back? Like it's all one collective economic process of innovation it is a shared societal project and so the idea that one person is a genius that created everything which is a myth they they still try to perpetuate with like technology innovation like, like we talked about the nasa like how much shit came out of nasa how much shit came out of darpa that yeah. was publicly funded we all paid for we all made possible with our earned money right yep. we gave it to the government the government put it into a specific guided directed innovation project and they created the internet they created like science shit i don't know Velcro, bunch of bunch of cool yeah velcro dippin' dots yeah like that's why like i have velcro shoes because of nasa like i'm happy that velcro shoes exist (laughs) they have little lights on them
1: yeah Um, i mean the same thing is applying right now specifically with the coronavirus like We're seeing these American companies that were funded by American tax dollars to push out very hastily like these vaccines that are going, but they're maintaining the intellectual property. Like we've ceded to them the right to produce, distribute and profit from those vaccines, which means that other countries that now have to fight with American intellectual property laws are like people are going to keep dying until until they earn enough money i guess to to buy the pfizer vaccine or the astrazeneca vaccine like this shit it comes into stark contrast because there are events like covid-19 that really highlight how fucked our our relationship to property really is and it's going to keep killing people and it's going to mean uh, that eventually a few rich people own literally all of the land and we have the privilege of living on their property in the future. We have the privilege of living on Mark Zuckerberg's fucking Kauai plantation shit that he's building out there and we'll all thank him for it just in the same way that we thank the fucking Duke or Duchess for letting us hunt on his, in his woods, uh, (laughs) Back when there are kings and castles and shit, and we're just returning to that. This is all set against the backdrop that uh, Hawaii is the first American state to declare climate emergency, which makes sense. <laughs> Florida should probably be next. I wouldn't, I wouldn't be surprised if like Alaska would need to be next. California, um, and maybe maybe it'll start getting people to care. Like, didn't the DoD publish one of those? published some study that says like actually a significant amount of our military bases are like on the coast. And if sea levels continue to rise, we're completely fucked. It's like, yeah, well there's like <laughs> five, no, there's a lot more than five individual, like military bases all over Hawaii that are completely mm-hmm. fucked. If yeah. sea levels yeah. continue to rise, <laughs> where are the Marines going to do their beach landing training? It's not going to be the Marine Corps base over in Hawaii anymore. <laughs> it's not going to be a fucking beach.
0: Yeah. All right. So if you aren't aware, this is another example of why being rich is way better than being poor. I think we all kind of know that. But sometimes you need to be reminded that <laughs> the rich people are having a way better time than you are. Uh, <laughs> India's vaccine shortage will last months. Biggest manufacturer warns. So the this is something Fauci said uh, way back when. Like the daily reported cases they were saying that like there were three hundred and eighty thousand new daily cases in India, which since it's like what three or four it's four times bigger than the United States, I think maybe a little more mm-hmm. um as far as population goes. They said that um, the number of new cases was relatively not that bad for what they were dealing with, considering that they're for the majority of that country is living in in destitute like third world conditions. Um, in in severe poverty and Fauci was like did like a New York thing where he was like yeah well you you think 380,000 cases a day like "Uh uh-huh yeah no like that's not anywhere near reality he's like if you follow the models for what that country is based on all its uh, relevant variables it's 13 million new cases a day like they are 13 million cases a day. Like, think about that for a second. Like, new cases a day. People are dying in droves there. Like, the, the, uh, what do you call it? The cremation sites, since that's Mm -hmm. like the way that they culturally dispose of their dead. Um, cremation sites are overwhelmed. So they're doing mass graves in India. Like, it's, this is like a, a massive, like, world historical tragedy for India specifically. And their, uh, inability to, like, they're producing the vaccines for, the rest of the world half the time, like they're involved in the production. Cause they have like um, the laboratories and the production lines for it, but the, they're all coming
1: to, to rich countries. Yeah. yeah.
0: That's they're commissioned by rich countries and for their own people, they can't provide it and they can't vaccinate and they can't. So um severe vaccine shortage would continue through July when production production is expended to expected to increase from about 60, 70 million doses A month, 100 million. Um, They're still underreporting. They said 400 new thousand cases on Sunday and multiple cities and states are under lockdown. That's last Sunday, including the capital of New Delhi. They've only vaccinated less than 2% of their population, with many states 2% of 1.3 billion or whatever the fuck they have. India has vaccinated less than 2%. Many states reporting they're out of jabs, forcing them to push back plans on Saturday to widen the inoculation campaign to everyone aged 18 or older. So, the end state of all of this is that they estimate that India will be dealing with rampant COVID infection and deaths for the next five to ten years.
1: Mm -hmm. Whenever whenever people reference the fact that, like, rising tide raises all boats, like, capitalism has been responsible for the greatest rise in living conditions across the world it's because you see a very drastic rise in countries like ours where we're rich enough and well to do enough to actually afford all of these things but in a lot of the countries that are supplying the actual material goods that we consume and that like serve as the foundation for our extremely rich countries like it's basically just it's exported tragedy like we import all the goods and we just export fucking tragedy to these countries we do it in a lot of uh latin american countries as well we do it in the glo- like uh like the global asian southeast um we fucking we fuck over a lot of these these countries and this is just another another data, data point in that in that regard
0: now look like i know everyone gets a bad rap on the left side of the spectrum for being like you should feel more bad. Like, do you feel guilty? You should feel guilty. And it's like, look, like poor people everywhere poor people. Like, the life in West Virginia by European Commission said that, yeah, these people are living in third world conditions. Like, it's indistinguishable from every major marker from life in rural India. Like, it's the same mm-hmm. level of destitution, like health, care, like mortality rates, infant mortality rates, life expectancy, all these things. Deaths like, of despair. Yeah, poverty in America is poverty. Like real poverty. Yeah. Like now you might be fortunate enough if you're like listen to this on uh on an iPhone on your way to a job like you know you're probably doing better than most people in India are, right? But like don't entertain for a second the idea that poor people are just lazy, that they can't pull themselves up by their bootstraps and they need to go get a job. You know, that advice that they (laughs) give you, like the big Lebowski advice, like, get a job, sir. Like, oh, fuck it. Oh, fuck it. Yes, that's your answer. That's your answer to everything. Tattoo it on your
2: forehead. Your revolution is over, Mr. Lebowski. Condolences. The bomb's lost. My advice to you is to do what your parents did. Get a job, sir.
0: That nonsense doesn't have any... These people are working twice as hard as you are, sometimes more. Like, literally the Mm -hmm. hours they work in a day. Like, those people don't have hobbies. (laughs) They barely have families. Like, they They don't have the time to be political. Yeah. Yeah, the working class conditions outside this country are... They foretell the working class conditions you will see inside this country. When mm-hmm. capitalism, global capitalism, has its way with you as well, um, you're protected only by your proximity to rich people, the fact that you speak the same language they do, and that you're protected by the same rights they need for themselves and their corporations. Yep. Like, but it's coming for you. The meat grinder's coming for you.
1: So, yep. Just let let them buy up all the land, and we'll really start to see like rubber meet the road. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god. Um. Yeah. You want to hop so, into Afghanistan?
0: Yeah, I can do that. We originally had May 1st set as a deadline for U.S. troop withdrawal, right? Yep. Here's the uh, the headline from New York Times. Taliban warns of counterattacks as the original May 1 deadline for U.S. troop withdrawal passes. Taliban issued a warning to U.S. and NATO forces of possible counterattacks as the original May 1st deadline for the complete withdrawal of foreign troops passed, stoking fears of increased violence in response to President Biden's extension of the U.S. withdrawal from Afghanistan to September 11th. So, um, we talked about that last time. Like, yeah, um, yeah. For some reason, he thought September 11th was like the right day to schedule a withdrawal. That's like it. It's like a smokescreen for symbolism. That means like he doesn't want to pull out yet. That's mm-hmm. the idea. Like they can extend this thing indefinitely. Um
1: it, it almost to a certain extent it almost feels like this was this was their plan the whole time. Blow by the May first deadline, which would necessarily piss off the Taliban, who would start initiating counterattacks on troops as they're trying to exfil from the country, which is the justification that they need to then stay in the country even longer. Or to maintain the military budget on just the opposite side of the border even longer.
0: We've talked before, but I don't think we need to do an episode on that as well. Because my my book came in the mail finally. It's that international consortium of journalists' uh, book they put together called "Making a Killing," subtitled mm-hmm. "The Business of War." And it's about how basically the contracting boom, like they okay. We originally went to Iraq because Cheney owned Halliburton and wanted oil. That's kind of why he was on board with it, he made shit happen, right? <laughs> Bush was able to... They were able to convince Bush to do it because he had hangover from the Gulf War about he was going to finish what his dad couldn't kind of thing. Yeah, some bullshit there. Um, but the real reason was, like, these guys, they've been wanting to carve up the Middle East for a long time so that OPEC could never influence the oil prices and all that shit. So, like... Um, <laughs> like... How do I say this? It's like Cheney originally went there for oil, right? But then they found in the course of the prosecution of this war that the real source of money was just the Keynesian growth you get from paying money to contractors to do shit, right? So like mm-hmm. that's why the most uh like like Cheney realized that it wasn't Halliburton and the oil fields that they claimed rights to you right away. It was KBR, a subsidiary of Halliburton, which if you've been in the military at all, you probably have encountered KBR at some point running like your food, your laundry, your uh, logistical services or backside support or something like that. Like massive contractor that pays, by the way, pays their people shit. I've never met a happy KBR contractor. (laughs) And uh, they, uh, that's like, that's what they made money from. Right. And so they, like our economy is literally structured critically on this. Like we're addicted to military contracting to government contracts in a way that we can't just restructure our economy willy-nilly uh the problem is it's like it just you just can't steer the oil tanker that fast it takes miles to turn that shit left or right and um or the (laughs) the suez canal (laughs) yeah
1: yeah i was like i know one boat that would disagree with you
0: (laughs) (laughs) yeah that that boat has a very good turn radius i gotta give it credit for that so they're gonna be. You should expect to see reluctance to pull out of Afghanistan. They don't want to do it. They don't want to yeah. pull out because it's it's a it's their reliable source of income. Just like they've been coming back to this, they've been sucking the nectar out of this flower for so long. Like they don't want to be forced to restructure their earning their their business model. I think yeah. it would be easy to do a green new deal uh, and sell that as like a reliable way to get the same. What if you had all these government contractors like okay, I don't want you to fight a war on terror. I want you to fight a war on energy inefficiency, right? I'd pay, mm-hmm. I'd like, you could make so much money off that shit. Like you get, you could have the impl- unemployment rate down to 0%. Fucking 5%. We'd all have two jobs. Like we'd be so fucking <laughs> like efficient that way by we're all setting up solar panels and windmills and like goddamn nuclear power plants and laying new road, uh, roads like all over the country. Like you could have like FDR levels of investment, right? Which is what. To his credit, like Biden's introducing, I don't, I'm don't. i not convinced that they're going to achieve gonna, anything close to work, what they yeah. want. But um, I, I can imagine... restructure it. So the economic boom could come from actual social services. But right now, the economic boom that the government and all the rich people in this country are counting on is based on wars abroad, which mm-hmm. is why they don't want to do this shit. That's why they've tried to drag this thing out forever. Why they still I, have dudes I imagine there that pulling this pulling was... fucking tower guard in Afghanistan on nothing.
1: I imagine there's a room with, like, a Harvard MBA, like, CEO of one of these contracting companies and, like, a Harvard Masters of Public Policy sitting on, like, Biden's fucking decision board versus some, like, ex-West Point general who's sitting on the board of directors of one of these companies, blah, blah, blah. They're all sitting in the room and they're like, all right, we want, like, people want us out of fucking Afghanistan. What is the way that we can accomplish this? while still allowing this massive like contracting industrial complex to continue to exist. Boom, the way we do it, blow past the Taliban, like the agreement we had with the Taliban so that we incur more conflict in the region as we pull out. And then we can still maintain that at that apparatus just on the other side of the border. Like we talked in the last episode about how we're still going to maintain force projection into Afghanistan. And that force projection, all those all those jets and planes and fucking artillery pieces that we need out there, are still going to require fobs, and it's still going to require this massive contracting apparatus. And so that was like that was the agreement that we came to was the best way to fuck up this withdrawal. That means we can still funnel federal money to these contractors. That's that's how I perceive all of this, and it's like. Yeah. not a conspiracy right this isn't a conspiracy to take away someone's like first amendment rights this is just the structure of capital that's that's all it is like it, it doesn't even yeah. need to be a conspiracy it's just that this is how it is
0: <clears throat> yeah this is it working properly
1: yeah it's a feature not a bug it's <laughs>
0: perfect so
1: Let's see. So I found this found this article the other day and is written in the New York Times op-ed. It's an opinion piece called I Fought in Afghanistan. I still wonder, was it worth it? It's not guilt or shame or regret, I feel. It's the sense of having done a terrible duty. And this is written by Timothy Kudo, former Marine captain who served in both Iraq and Afghanistan. So this... I I read this and it kinda spoke to me in the sense that it's it's someone who acknowledges this deep seated regret over the fact that he lost his entire young adult life to what essentially mounts towards making money for other people, but doesn't quite doesn't like take take it through the finish line. Like he doesn't make the touchdown with the point. He just, he kind of just like wallows in his despair over this, this like frustration that he has that a significant portion of his life is gone, dedicated to this useless thing that we're now pulling out of. And we don't see any like actual benefit from, and he, he, he can't quite wrap it all together and be like, why, why did this happen? So, when President Biden announced on Wednesday that the United States would withdraw all its troops from, from Afghanistan by September 11th, he appeared to finally bring he appeared to be finally bringing this forever war to an end. Although I have waited for this moment for a decade, it is impossible to feel relief. The September 11 attacks took place during my senior year of college, and the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan that followed consumed the entirety of my adult life. Although history books may mark this as the end of the Afghanistan War, it will never be over for many of my generation who fought. Sometimes there are moments, no more than the span of a breath, when the smell of it returns and once again I'm stepping off the helicopter ramp into the valley. Covered in the ash and dust of the rotor wash, I take in for the first time the blend of wood fires burning from inside light shaped mud compounds, flooded fields of poppies and corn, the sweat of the unwashed and wet naps that failed to mask it. Oh, that's a fucking mood right there. Wow. Wet, yeah. wet nap showers. Chicken and sheep, and the occasional cow. The burn pit where trash and plastic smoldered throughout the day. Curries slick with oil, eaten by hand on carpeted dirt floors, and fresh bodies buried shallow, like IEDs in the bitter earth. Dude paints a picture, like,
0: <laughs> yeah,
1: it's sweet and earthy, familiar to the farm boys in the platoon who knew that the blend of animal and human musk, but alien to those who used, who were used to only the city or the lush southern woods we patrolled during training. Later, at the big bases far from the action, surrounded by gyms and chow halls in the expeditionary office park where the flag and the field grade officers did their work, it was replaced by a cologne of machinery and order. Of common parts installed by low-bid contractors in the ochre, windblown sand of the vast deserts where the behemoth bases were always located. Relatively safe after the long months at the frontier, but dull and lifeless. Suddenly, I'm on a cold American street littered with leaves. A couple passes by, holding hands, a bottle of wine in the tote bag dressed for a party unaware of the veneer that preserves their carelessness and he's talking now like he's kind of just uh memory jumped to um, when he's back mm-hmm. home i remain distant from them to his hurt locker moment right That's yeah, what's yeah yeah when when he's staring at all of the fucking cereals on the shelf like this yep. is the same moment he's just back on a normal american street And he's starting to realize that no one has any fucking clue what's going on in Afghanistan, or cares, or even thinks about it on a day-to-day basis. And it's such a huge part of his existence for a long time. I remain distant from them, trapped between past and present, in the same space you sometimes see in the eyes of the old-timers marching in Veterans Day parades, with their folded caps covered in retired unit patches, wearing surplus army uniforms that can't seem to take off. My war ended in 2011, when I came home from Afghanistan eager to resume my life. I was in peak physical shape, had a college degree, had a half year of saved paychecks, and would receive an honorable discharge from the Marine Corps in a few months. I was free to do whatever I wanted, but I couldn't bring myself to do anything. Initially, I attributed it to jet lag, then to a need for well-deserved rest, but eventually there was no excuse. I returned to my friends and family, hoping I would feel differently. I did not. Relax, you earned it, they said. There's plenty of time to figure out what's next. But figuring out the future felt like abandoning the past. It had just been a month since my last combat patrol, but I know now that years don't make a difference. So he's wrestling with this idea that he comes home from this war and realizes no one gives a shit. That the best thing they can really like ask him is like, they, they want to, like, ask him about how the war went, like, approaching the topic. But he says, like, they would approach this topic the way you would hold out a hand to an injured animal. Like, <laughs> their expressions would change. First from, as as he talked, their expressions would change. First to curiosity, then to sympathy, and finally to horror. He says, I know their repulsion was only self-preservation. After all, the war cost nothing to the civilians who stayed home. They just wanted to live the free and peaceful lives they grew to come, accustomed to. And wasn't their peace of mind what we fought for in the first place? And he says this rhetorical question because, like, he knows. I think he knows deep down that the peace of mind was not what we're fighting for in the first place. Not anyone in Afghanistan and not the people that lost their lives or spent their entire fucking young adult life in Afghanistan. Like, we, the American people, are so disconnected from this war by just layers and layers of bureaucracy and, like, media uh compulsion and like just the capital structure that we talked about earlier that this 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 seems like facebook is opening up a new office in you know africa or something like that and you read it with the same kind of tone that you read we're pulling out of afghanistan if so abstracted from you because you're not associated with the people who are over there like doing this. Um, it might as well just be another complete fucking existence for these people.
0: Yeah. The, yeah. You know, the way that the like libs and center right guys talk about this is to say mill civ divide, right? You know, let's talk yeah. about the, the lack of understanding between our civilian population and the military service members, the 1% who find it in their hearts to serve their country. And, the, like, that's actually a thing. Obviously, like, it's, I mean, without that bullshit about, um, you know, that only 1% of us are good enough to serve or whatever, um, it's, like, the reality is that people don't know the dirty work that goes into the maintenance of the status quo for them on their behalf. Yep. And they don't want to know, and they like not knowing. And when they find out and they think about it for a second, the horror makes them pull back from it and decide they want to go back to not knowing about it. And mm-hmm. That's why they like, it's one of those things where they, they don't love you. They love the idea of you. That's <laughs> that they love the idea of saying thank you for your service, right? Because that's, that lets them off the hook. They don't have to think about it. And you're like, like, do you really know what that means when you're saying thank you for your service? Like, thank you for sacrificing your youth to a system that as a rule doesn't let you be young <laughs> you just thank you for uh, your bodily autonomy that you yep. sacrifice so you can't you can't do that you have permanent injuries by the time you're 24 they're never gonna physical go. and mental and emotional yeah. yeah like fused discs or ask any fucking airborne guy like what that How shit's fucked like his knees are yeah. yeah yeah um my fucking cab driver last night was this uh, retired airborne guy and he's like i got six Fucking discs that they want to cut out of me and put some other shit in there. I tell them to get the fuck away from me with that fucking knife and they won't give me 50 50 odds. I'm not letting you cut me for 50 50. It's like, Jesus Christ, dude. And I asked him, I was like, I'll bet, like, being a cab driver doesn't feel good for your back, does it? He's like, fuck, no, it doesn't. Jesus Christ. <laughs> they don't know what they're actually saying thank you for because it's that. And then, like, what all goes into it? Like, how many people do you know in the military that have some, some form of mental health problem directly
1: related to the military? Okay. All right? Like, that's. Every senior enlisted I've almost ever dealt with, some kind of just, yeah. like, fucked up. Um, why do, yeah, why do
0: all of my friends who've deployed, uh, like, they seem great at work, and you're like, I'd like to have a beer with you, and then you have a beer with them, and you're like... But, like, the guys that were in Iraq, like, the ones that start screaming and crying, they, like, throw bottles and break them against the wall and start talking about, like, what it was like to try and, like, collect enough of their friends to send home for a burial, like we fucked these guys so hard and they don't. Mm -hmm. And, and they want that whole, the whole phrase, thank you for your service to just be like, I understand. Like I'm forgiven by my saying the phrase, thank you for Mm -hmm. your service. I'm off the hook.
1: That's exactly what it is. And this author of this article wrestles with that. He, he identifies that distinction, the military civilian divide, and it fucks with his head. And he can't explain it Mm -hmm. like he doesn't have any kind of explanatory theory that can like rope this all together and make him feel good at the end of the day. He just is going to wallow in misery for forever, knowing that he signed up and sacrificed a huge portion of himself, as well as a lot of people that he probably loved for nothing. And it's just heightened by the fact that we're pulling out of Afghanistan, having accomplished zero of the goals that we went into Afghanistan to accomplish Now with the hangover, after a night of drinking alone, comes the stabbing thought. Did I survive a war for this? The once simple pleasure of an idle Sunday is undeserved because it had been paid for by the fallen and is no longer mine alone to spend. My dreams have been replaced by memories. The past isn't a psychological problem that can be medicated, changed, or forgotten. It's all I am. Those times when I do forget, it's the forgetting itself that feels wrong. The actions and decisions I made at war are the most important thing I have. After all, I wasn't a victim, but a collaborator. It's not guilt, shame, or regret, but that feeling of having done a terrible duty. And when it ended, the only thing left to shoulder, left was to shoulder the burden and keep walking in the long line of march as we'd trained to do so many times before. A person can bear any burden for a good enough reason, but the more the weight digs into my shoulders, the less I recall why I joined in the first place. Now he starts talking about, um, he he wrote a letter to himself before he deployed in case he was killed. Um, the first paragraph reads, it was worth it before he's even deployed. The first paragraph reads, It was worth it. Then it continues about honor, duty, and patriotism before closing with a final farewell and a request for burial at Arlington. It was worth it. The words reverberate. The weight feels a little heavier and when I whisper them like a mantra and continue marching. But now the war is ending and those words are enigmatic. Was it worth it? Everything has been because I've been able to answer yes to that question. But what if the answer is no? For, the, for a long time, my faith that the war might be won, quieted moments of doubt. And he goes on to say that now that the war clearly won't be won, those the words that he said to himself about honor, duty, and patriotism fall flat. Because it's it's like the lie is, is shown. The lie is revealed. Because we're pulling out of this war and accomplishing nothing. I remember I once asked a vi- village elder whether he knew why I was there. He responded that we'd always been there. Confused, I asked him about the attacks on America. He said, but you are Russians, no? (laughs) After 30 years of war, it didn't matter to him who was fighting, but only that they were still fighting. And what of the Afghan people who remain at war long after we leave? What if the kids who followed us on patrol and attended the schools we built? Did they grow up to be Taliban just as our children grow old enough to fight in this war? My first night in Afghanistan, a platoon sergeant told me he stayed awake each night thinking about what the children playing barefoot in the duty bomb-strewn, dirty bomb-strewn roads dreamed about at night. After seven months, he had no answer. When my deployment ended, I too was no closer to an answer, but now I know they dream of war. The most meaningful part of my life is being erased by time, by the enemy, and even by my own country. Although Afghanistan will dominate a few headlines now that it's ending, it is no longer leads the evening news. And when it does appear in print, it's buried deep in the back pages along with the rest of the violence that happens only to people in other countries. Unable or unwilling to solve the problem, the average American is once again content to forget that it exists, just as we were on September 10th, 2001. But to me, it feels wrong to forget or to move on. Maybe that's because the only recourse I have left is to remember. I'm terrified of the day when I have the final memory of what happened over there, not because it will be my last, but because it will pass unnoticed. The dead, like the war, will finally be forgotten, and there will be nothing to mark their grave. And I think, poetically, this is why I feel justified saying, like, you should be fucking angry at the things that were lost in these wars. If we do forget this, if this becomes just like another Operation Just Cause, like another thing that just happens in our society and we move on and we we just forget about it, we're never going to take the right lessons of this. Which is not that we should have stayed in Afghanistan to protect those people. It's that we shouldn't have been there in the first place. These lives shouldn't have been lost. We shouldn't have been funding the fucking mujahideen in Afghanistan back in the '80s. We shouldn't have set the conditions for why this conflict exists in the first place. If we don't learn anything, like if we if we allow what he's talking about, like the, there's the casual washing away of this significant part of our history, it just becomes some no, another event that happens. That, we're, that kids won't even read about in the textbooks because it's too close, <laughs> like it's happened too recently, then it's going to keep happening. It's going to keep happening. The contractors are going to get their money. We're going to have some other fucking engagement in Syria. We're going to drone strike another dude in Iran all for the, the pretext to start something so we can have these jobs so people sitting on the fucking Halliburton board of directors can make a shitload of money.
0: I wish Smedley Butler was still alive.
1: yeah honestly
0: Um, I also want to make a plug for uh, like obviously because Mandy's not here this episode got heavy because we're both like ridiculously serious people (laughs) despite talking (laughs) about dicks and cum and piss all the time Um, so if you are in the military still you're still active um, or like On orders or something uh don't uh don't shy away from behavioral health for the stigma of it like it's gotten a lot better since things have happened if you need to talk um to someone anyone like for starters like neither like this podcast is not anywhere near big enough for us not to be able to respond to you if you email us (laughs) so fucking do it yeah our shit's on the on the uh episode description or the the podcast description Um, like hit us up. Also would recommend behavioral health. If you got to like go talk to someone about all this stuff, like there's a bunch of shit that's happened to you. That's been done to you that you're not going to have the words for, or like the coordinates to like start to grasp, like where the fuck you are and where you need to go. Um, if you're out and you're like still processing the shit, if you're like anyone I know in or out, you're probably drinking too much. (laughs) That's like a groping mechanism. Um, not the right way to go. Like just promise you like try to uh try to get a va appointment for specifically behavior health stuff like there's a lot they can do for you um and um uh, it's at least a fucking start you know what i mean like i know the uh the reddit veterans page says uh the the leftist vet says don't call Mm -hmm. the veterans help help hotline because those guys are crazy like they send like an ambulance to your house with like cops and they like arrest you and force you to do like medical care shit like some terrible experiences come out of that But if you go and you talk to your medical care provider where there's like a um, patient, like doctor-patient confidentiality, like medical protection of your data, like do that. Like go seek Mm -hmm. help. Like if you don't feel right, you don't feel happy, like hit them up. Like for one, like no one expects to feel happy in this fucking late stage capitalist bullshit era. It's all right. Like it's not (laughs) an expectation. Like, so yeah, try out, like don't shy away from behavioral health. There's a Sergeant Major uh, mentor of mine, my old Sergeant Major, he's, um, recently sort of coming out and really pushing behavioral health for all NCOs he knows. Um, he's saying, like, don't shy away from it. Like, it's so worth it. He started going for the first time in his fucking career, and he's like, it's the best thing I ever did. And he says he's like, it makes, like, playing with his kid and hanging out with his wife, like, way better. Now that someone started helping him out and listening to his shit that knows what he's talking about. So if that speaks to you at all, like, do it, all right? Like, we're we're pro-mental health on this podcast. <laughs> um, so... And yeah, like we said, if it, if BH scares you if that stigma still lingers from GWAT, like we're not going to tell your first sergeant. <laughs> so you can just e- email us instead. We're not great at this shit, but fucking hit us up anyways. Like it'd be great.
1: I think the best thing that we can really do is just empathize and be, and be like you're not alone, yeah. man. Yeah. The shit that's frustrating the hell out of you, you're not alone. We get it.
0: Um hit us up, man. Like we're uh we're friends. So you're not alone. You wanna talk about something light for the next three and a half minutes? Uh just the bullshit? <laughs> <laughs> sure. <laughs> to like finish it. on a high note. Um yeah, I think my mic's still on. That's good. So I was eating popcorn. I, t- I turned the mic off for like two minutes at a time so I could eat popcorn. That's <laughs> pretty good. I should eat. I yeah. haven't eaten enough today. Yeah. I have drank enough wine. I have not eaten enough food.
1: I'm trying to think. What's something light that's happened?
0: Well, we got rid of Mandy for a fucking episode. That's a definite plus. Jesus Christ! You yeah. know? like I'm, I'm tired of having someone funnier than me on the podcast. Really, like, <laughs> you know, like, she's like, it's like uh, uh, the the pretty girl in Mean Girls. <laughs> it's like she she hangs out with the not funny guys just to make herself look funnier. Fucking just to make us feel better. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, we did a uh, we did just a. Uh, News only episode this time, because we weren't really, weren't feeling the theory this week. I think we both, had, I mean, we're both pretty fucking overworked this week, right? Yeah. From what it sounds like. Yeah, we're both sp- we're spreading ourselves pretty thin on just bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> um, that, I mean, that's the non-doxing answer, is it's just, whatever we're doing, it's not worth it, and we're doing too much of things that aren't worth it, so. Um, yeah, 100%.
1: Yeah,
0: so here we are, exhausted, um, drinking Sunday afternoon. I don't know. We we felt like just hitting the news. There's like some the the news is getting more and more interesting lately because post Trump, the news has gone back to its its real old fashioned manufacturing consent routes, where it's really trying to legitimize a presidential administration that doesn't give a fuck about you. Like to his credit, Biden has introduced. I mean, to their credit, the Biden administration, rather, because I'm not sure how much Biden actually participates in this shit. He's just the guy with the <laughs> with the white teeth that smiles all the time. Um, The administration has put forward a lot of like FDR era, like policies, like a $2 trillion uh, infrastructure bill, a $1.9 trillion stimulus bill. Um, Like literally anything that says free college at all. Like, like you said, it's not what we deserve. It's, it's like, we deserve way more than that. (laughs) Like all like, America is a country where all our labor is here, all our creativity is here, all the resources are here, the land is here, the agriculture is here, like, the, the ability to produce shit is here, so, like, these rich people can take their money and get the fuck out of my goddamn country, I don't care, like, we will, the value is here like yep. the dollars that they've extracted from us they can take to whatever fucking tax haven country they want to right our shit's <laughs> well, dude, here what and the, we can do just as fine without them we will do better What is them. the
1: thing they call it they call it a uh, going galt going john galt from the the <laughs> man novel where they're like oh if all the if all the rich wealthy extremely powerful people just like up and disappeared to their own like little libertarian floating island haven thing that they're talking about for a little bit yeah like we would all be so much worse off and i could just picture all of america just being like No, don't go. Don't leave us. Yeah. right. (laughs) Anything but that. Don't do that. Don't Don't leave. leave. No, oh no, we're so distraught over this.
0: (laughs) Like, yes, please, help me accelerate our grand plan of making an entire country of worker cooperatives. That's the goal. Like, Jesus Christ. Um. Yeah. I don't know. So the news, yeah, like, the, the news has been this all, like, manufactured consent nonsense because they're trying to make you think that Biden's doing a great job. None of that shit's going to get, like, uh, it's going to survive first contact <laughs> with yeah. uh, the Republican Party. So it's it's going to get walked down to something. extent. But, like, they're getting pushed left uh, by you. They're getting yeah. pushed left by you. Like, you're a threat to them. Um, the same way QAnon, because, like, we said this before, uh, the... They, they saw their f- fucking friends on the right side of the aisle uh, deal with QAnon as a massive, like, fracture in their party's uh, unity, right? And endanger the actual survival of the Republican Party as it exists today. It was a hijacking of that whole vehicle. And they're thinking that, like, oh, fuck, like, we kind of have our own populist shit on this side. And it's like, yes, correct, you do, right? You do have a populist organization on your left flank that is going with sufficient time organization like incubation period like we will make you go left we will make you do what you've pretended to do for 40 years now and actually give a shit about the people in this country and uh they're scared of that and that's why that administration is seeking survival uh, by giving you something for the first time in forever so it's cool um, it's not good enough but it's cool it's cool to see that your shit actually matters the, th- the idea of you is a threat to them which is why it shows so clearly in the news <laughs> um, I like it so Biden's speech and all that stuff like that's why we've been kind of fixated on the news lately and uh, yeah I'm about it outro music
1: <laughs>
0: I mean not bad not bad. We we're both pretty mellow, pretty exhausted. You can hear it.